SoWin TV presents. SoWin TV presents. Hi, everybody. This is Love Him, Love Them with Linda Gunner, where we give hope, touch lives, and change hearts. What does the Bible say about suicide and depression? Is somebody who commits suicide going to hell? Uh, what if you've messed up your life by making bad decisions and you often think about dying? What can you do? Is God going to forgive somebody who kills themselves? What, what does the Bible say about depression? Is suicide prohibited in the Bible? What if you're very depressed and you hate yourself and you feel like God's not answering your prayers? Or what if you're just really depressed and you don't have anybody to talk to? What happens to people who commit suicide? Hi there. My name is Linda Gunner, and I want to welcome you. If this is your first time, I'd like to invite you, if you happen to be listening on our YouTube channel, to make sure that you subscribe and to click the little notification button. And I'd really love to have some of your comments. Uh, I would also like to invite you to go to our website, which is lovehimlovethem.org. And that way you can learn more about us. I just want you to know briefly that we do work in the United States and also in the country of Haiti. And uh, we love to provide ways for you to love him and love them. So I will promise you, if you stick with me for the next 30 minutes, you're going to know something that you didn't know when we got started. That's my whole goal. I don't want you to be the same when we're, over, when we're done with this uh, show as you are right now. You know, there's unbelievable statistics right now. There are 60% of teens that 30% of, commit, 30% of that 60 are committed Christian teens that are struggling with depression. If I hear it one time in a week, I hear it five times in a week. I have moms calling me, teens calling me. It's depression, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. You know, just yesterday at the church I spoke at, there was a gentleman there who literally on his way to church was planning out how he was going to kill himself. That is a, uh, he was a father of two young children whose, um, not wife, but the mother, uh, girlfriend had just left and was literally planning, planning that. Christian teens struggle with suicidal thoughts. 50% of teens and 36% of church-going Christian teens struggle with also not only that, but pornography, another statistic that just gets thrown in there. You know, depression is not really recognized in the Bible. If you try to Google what does the Bible say about depression, and it's very interesting, and I think that's why Satan might even use that, because we, you can't even really look specifically to find what does the Bible say about that, because there's no direct references in the Bible. However, do you know that even biblical heroes like Jacob, you know, Jacob in Genesis 37, 34, he says, Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth. He mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. Uh, what about Job? In Job 3, 1 through 11, Job speaks and it says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. It sounds pretty depressing, right? <laughs> he said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness, may gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. 
Job had a very, very big struggle where he literally says, why didn't I just die before I was born? And then what about King David? King David in 2 Samuel 18, 33, it says the king was shaken. I almost think you can look up. There's so many places in the Bible where it says, even when we get bad news, we are to be unshakable, that Christians are not to be shaken. But King David was shaken, says he went up to the room over the gateway and wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son, oh, my son, if only I had died instead of you. So not only depression, but here we are back to the suicide and the, the basically the wish for death. So obviously, King David apparently suffered from depression at some point. You know, confusion and frustration can grow out of the, just the multitude. It's almost like a choir of voices that you hear uh, from people who claim to be and claim to understand depression. There's all kind of psychology. There's neuroscience. There's people that are offering all kinds of theories on depression. They are very, very willing and ready to hand out medication for depression. But unfortunately, there's a big disconnect because there are a lot of people that are helping with depression, anxiety, and they're completely leaving out faith. Because, you know, depression is not simply a medical problem. It's not simply a a mental problem. Depression is almost now turning into a human problem. And while medical and emotional problems can often have contributions to depression, for most people, the bottom line is this illness has a very significant spiritual component. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because what does the Bible say about depression? Proverbs 12.25 mentions depression directly and says, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. You know, that's a good place to begin because God, through the wisdom of Solomon, provides both a diagnosis and a prescription that can help people grow beyond depression. So the the culprit is the heart full of anxiety. That's, That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, All of you who are burdened, I'm going to give you the rest. I need you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So in a broad stroke, many Christians suffering from depression can find hope in biblical foundations. You can also find stories in the Bible where people experienced depression. There was Moses in Numbers. There was David in Psalm 51. There was Elijah. I mean, these are people that are walking right there with, I mean, right beside him. I mean, Moses is the one who parted the Red Seas. Can you imagine literally putting your rod in the sea? The, I mean, unbelievable that he's right there with God with these amazing signs and wonders happening and then still so depressed. Job, Jonah. I mean, let's just look at some truth. The truth is we have hope in God. That's the truth. God encourages us to call upon him in the day of trouble. And he says, I will deliver you. 
Right? Psalm 50, 15 says, call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. You know, hopelessness is one of the hallmark symptoms of depression. There's just no more hope. There's nothing else that can be done. And yet, what, is, what does the Bible consistently say? That with God, all things are possible. Everything that seems impossible, because that's, that's where we get the hopelessness, right? It's impossible. This will never work. This relationship will never work. This job will never work. My finances aren't going to work. What is the point? There's no more hope. And that's what Satan wants us to think, right? So he destroys the different parts of our lives, makes us think there's no hope, makes us think nothing is possible. And so what's the point? What's the point in going on? But the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that is the sum of all hope. You know, in Colossians, it tells us God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of the mystery, which is, the mystery is this, Christ in you. That's the hope of all glory. In Colossians, there, Paul, a man who had more than his, I mean, if anybody had the reason to give up, it was Paul. He had tribulation. He had suffering. I mean, if you read uh, where Paul, he was shipwrecked. He was, people were trying to kill him. He was having a bad day almost every day. And yet he says in 2 Corinthians 1, we have placed our hope in him. He's the one who's going to deliver us again, right? God is the one who gives us the hope. You know, also, where do we find our joy? So many of us, if we're looking for joy in our, in our job, if we're looking for joy in our school, if we're looking for joy even in our marriages, if that's where we're looking for joy in our relationships, that's, that is going to potentially bring hopelessness because the only place to find joy is in salvation. Because people, I'm here to tell you, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world in which good things may come to an end. The tragic dimension of life will be present until the kingdom of God comes fully in Jesus's return. And the joy of salvation comes from realizing again and again that our sins have been forgiven and that we will live forever with the eternally happy, eternally happy God who desires that we share in his joy. We should never get over the gospel. You know, in Revelation, it talks about how you've lost your first love. He's talking about the church, one of the church, seven churches that he's <laughs> kind of reaming out. And he says, you know, you lost your first love. Do you remember the day whenever you did give your life to Jesus Christ? The excitement. I just, I get to experience that so often. I've been so blessed the last couple of weeks that everywhere I've spoken, there have been people who are just hopeless. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but the great thing is that when we leave, after we share that gospel, that hopelessness, you can see it in their faces. It turns from hopelessness to full of hope. It's an unbelievable twitch, an unbelievable switch, an unbelievable just small turn. I, I used this example recently about, and y'all aren't going to remember this, but back in the day, we used to turn our television channels kind of like the, it was just a knob. And one change of that channel can make all the difference in the world. And one change in your perspective can take you from depression and hopelessness. Literally, it's a three-second decision to take you from hopelessness to, to having hope. You know, we should show, we really need to remember that. I'm going to go back to that and harp on that for just a second. You can't get over the gospel. You can't get over it. It's not mundane. It's not something that you can just forget about and let go. 
because that will Satan will use that to destroy you. We should show active love for God and others. You know, that's our ministry is to love him and love them. And so by that active love, that's what changes lives. That is essential. Love for God and others is essential because we at some time or another find ourselves sucked in to this morbid self-involvement where it's all about me. It's all about me. And that's where, matter of fact, that is the way it is in the world today, right? It is all about number one. Luke 9.23 tells us to deny ourselves. So if you're if you're moving forward with it's all about me and with number one, you've got to stop that. You've got to remember to love him requires us to love them. And the joy that you're looking for, if you will remember the acronym of putting Jesus first, others second, and yourself last, that is a heavenly prescription. That is medicine that is better than any medicine any doctor can provide. Because that's the true joy, the joy of salvation. And then the way to keep that joy is to love and serve others. So that heavenly prescription given by the great physician, the medicine that many need above all else is found in Matthew 22. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's our ministry. Love him, love them. If you don't remember anything else from today, if you'll just remember that, it'll change your life. Because when we begin to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, that's when we are able to demonstrate love to others. That is when we find true hope in God's active love. You know, based on these biblical examples that we mentioned uh, previously, depression comes by sin, disobedience, unresolved emotion. I think I think I think that's the number one, especially bitterness and anger and spiritual attacks. I think I really think that is the number one because that is where Satan works the best. You know, John Bevere has an amazing book out, and I think now it's like fifty years old, but it's called The Bait of Satan. And the bait of Satan is for you to be offended. If he can get you offended, now he gets you uh, so that you are full of bitterness, full of rage, full of anger, holding on to whatever it is that that person has done to you. And that is, that is where a lot of mental suffering comes from. And that mental suffering without a spiritual influence of knowing what the Bible says leaves you just in a prime position for depression. That's, that's where the anxiety comes from. Even though the word suicide, and that's usually the next step. When you talk to someone who is suicidal, which I just had this conversation yesterday, you back it up and it goes back to depression. When you back up the depression, it goes because someone is ang- ang- has full of anxiety about something. And when you find out what their anxiety is, it's somebody that they're upset with, something that's happened that's gone wrong. So it does lead to suicidal thoughts. And suicide is not actually in the Bible. However, there are several direct references to people who did kill themselves. I don't know if you've ever heard of Zimra, who briefly reigned over Israel. He died in a house fire that he started himself. He knew that he was about to be overthrown by his enemies. And he couldn't bear the defeat, uh, so he left. 
Also in 1 Kings, King Saul talks about where he fell on his sword after losing a battle against the Philistines. Uh, Samson stopped allowing God to direct his life. Ooh, that is a very, very valid point right there. Because who is directing your life? Where are you going for your truth? What, what voices are you listening to? Because if God is not directing your life, that is when it is very easy to fall into sin. So he forfeited his unbelievable strength. Do you remember that with Delilah? And uh, he was subjected to humiliation at the hands of the Philistines. He was faced with... Writ- this is the guy who had it all. He had it all. And then he, uh, in his final act of strength, do you guys remember that? He, I went to the, have you, if you've ever been to the Museum of the Bible, there's a place right there where you can stand and like you're holding on to those same two pillars. But in his final act of strength, he pulled those pillars down, not only killing himself, but he also killed his captors. And finally, most everybody knows about Judas. Judas hanged himself. Judas, after betraying Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. You know, we rag on Judas about that, like, man, I can't believe you did that. And yet we do the same thing. What is it that we have in such an idolic position that we're willing to give up? We're willing to give up. We're willing to give up our hope that we could have in Jesus. We're willing to give up what we think is an impossible situation that he can make possible. But a lot of times I think it's for less than 30 pieces of silver. You know, in each one of those biblical examples, the one thing that we see is pride, anger, and rebellion of man. Pride is the root of all sin, and the sin of suicide was always preceded by a progression of sins that were culminating in this final act of depression. You know, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm depressed, I'm out of here, I want to kill myself, I don't want to have anything else to do with it. Each of the biblical characters was responding to an external circumstance. Something happens. Something happens. And when something happens, that's when we have that choice. Each chose to escape their situation rather than endure and persevere. Oh, my goodness. You know, the Bible tells us over and over. Why does the Bible tell us that we have to endure? Why does the Bible tell us that we have to persevere? Do you think God was just throwing that in there? Or did he know that we were going to have continuous, you know, and on that same topic, why did the Bible say that the Holy Spirit is a comforter? Why did he have to send us a comforter and a guide? Is it because we were going to need comforting? Is it because we were going to need a guide to make it through this world and this life? You know, we have to think, why were all of those things in the word of God? You know, none of the men referenced that we talked about who ended up killing themselves None of them placed their faith and their hope in God. They didn't do it. And it's possibly because they were already disconnected and they were relying on human strength and they were relying on their own decision-making long before this fatal act. We've got to, we don't just fall off the ladder. It's a, it's a progression. What is that song, Michael? Slow fade. It's a slow fade. These things happen slowly. And when we look back, we can see. So, you know, did Zimra, did Saul, did Samson or Judas, did they have medical imbalances that affected their judgment? Were any of the decisions they made a product of childhood abuse or other painful experiences? 
Did genetics play a role? You know, the Bible doesn't refer to those things. In none of those stories does it pull up and say, and let me tell you what happened to Samson when he was a little boy. But the Bible is very clear that murder proceeds from the heart of men. Mark 7.21, murder proceeds from the heart of men. You know, in every biblical example, the circumstances around these men revealed the content of their heart. Pride, foolishness, wickedness, murder, evil thoughts, and covetousness. Do you know what covetousness is? It's when you want something somebody else has and you want it so bad you're willing to steal, you're willing to kill, you're willing to do whatever you got to do to get it. Even when there's a question regarding a medical condition or predisposing factors, Christians have got to be prepared to address the condition of their heart. That's the first thing we've got to look at. We've got to pay heed to those emotions and the actions that are evident in its expression. You know, Jesus dealt with numerous physical conditions, but his focus was always directed towards spiritual healing. He cured leprosy. He cured blindness. He cured paralysis. He cured hemorrhaging. He cured fever. And he even raised the dead. But the Lord's physical gift always paled in comparison to the spiritual truth and the reconciliation he brought. This also has to be our objective. Reconciliation, truth, love, eternal security, and holy living. No, the the church I spoke at yesterday They called people forward. We have a brand new book out called Miracles with Mommy Linden. We have story after story of miracles. Exactly the same thing that's happening with Jesus is happening with us in our ministry because God is able to use instruments. He needs people that he can use instruments to be able to pray for as God continues to heal. He wants to continue to heal. But as these people came forward yesterday and wanted healing for certain things, the very first question I asked is, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Tell me about when you made Jesus the Lord of your life. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that today, if you died, where would you go? And do you know time after time, there was no concrete answer to that except for, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think I was born a Christian. And so that gives you such insight spiritually to why their minds are where they are. Because what Ephesians 6 tells us that to have a sound mind, we put on the helmet of salvation. It's the helmet of salvation that helps protect our mind. So if we don't have on the helmet of salvation, that is where all that talk, talk, talk comes from, that chatter, chatter, chatter. So we've got to be sure that we're looking at what the, the physical healing is according to the Lord's sovereign will. But we know by God's word that he is not willing that any should perish. He wants all of us to come to repentance. You know, I pray that whoever you're listening to, whatever YouTube channel you're watching or whatever church you're going to, that those people who are speaking into you will not forsake the eternal objectives of the kingdom and that will not and focusing instead on explanations or remedies that are temporal and deceiving. Believers and unbelievers can be sick. Believers and unbelievers can be sinful, or both. 
But while some things are physical, the truth is, Ephesians 6 tells us, all things are spiritual. So in our efforts to comfort, we've got to always be purveyors of the truth as well as vessels of love. And while it is loving to offer compassion and prayers and support, the truth is we've got to figure out these complex traumas. It is equally important that we remain grounded in the fullness of truth and in the fullness and totality of Scripture so that we're not carried away with ideas that are well-meaning but unstructurally sound. So what is the answer? What is the answer to depression? You know, the Bible tells us that the solution for a spirit of heaviness is to put on a garment of praise. You may or may not know about the revival that's taken place at Asbury University. A lot of people are, are commenting about that, but all they're doing is worshiping. They're just in there singing praise and worship, which is not true. If you've watched Geneva, you see that they are, to, they are doing scripture. They are also. But let's just say all they were doing was worshiping. For the Gen Z community and generation that is heading there, that's what most of the people that are there are high school students and college students. You know what? That's where the statistics that we started off with, that's where 60% of those people are saying they're depressed. 36% of those are people that are going to church. So if you've got a spirit of heaviness, and the Bible specifically tells you what you need to do is put on a garment of praise, that is the number one answer. Before you go to the doctor, before you uh, make any decisions, you need to really check your heart. And really see, when was the last time you praised God? When was the last time you worshiped him? When was the last time you were on your knees and said, I don't want to, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't want to be living this life anymore. When was, Repentance. It's called conviction and repentance. And that is also what's happening in Asbury. That is also the revival that's taking place. Because we're told if we will humble ourselves, if we will turn from our wicked ways, that, and we, God is willing to heal not only us, but our land. And the, the cry that has come into Asbury in the little town in Wilmore, Kentucky, time and time again, this is not the first time, it's happened many, many times, but it's because we are willing to repent, we are willing to listen to that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we are willing to put on a garment of praise. So if you're listening today and you're depressed, I want to encourage you by letting you realize that the truth is anxiety can be placed on our Father. We can cast our cares on Him. And when we are full of the Holy Spirit, we will have the hope. It's the hope of Christ. It's the hope of the fact that you think no one cares about you. Let me tell you someone who does. Someone actually gave his son to die on a cross for you and literally shed the blood that would pay for, the, for your sins, for any sin you've done. There's nothing that you can do that you have done that could, that could negate that. Jesus Christ himself died on a cross for you, for you to have joy while you're here, for you to have abundant life while you're here. There is someone who's fighting against you, and John 10.10 10 makes it very clear. He's here to kill. That's the voices that you're hearing. Just take your life. You're not worthy. What are you doing here? 
Nobody cares for you. Nobody loves you. That's a lie. Straight from the pit of hell. That is a lie. The truth is someone cares for you so much that he actually allowed his son to pay the penalty for your sins. So don't go any more further through this day with those thoughts. I'd love for you to comment below if you are dealing with any thoughts of discouragement or depression. I would love to be able to talk with you further. You can go to our website and reach out to us at lovehimlovethem.org. We want to walk through this with you because there is a possibility that you can love him and love them today. And there may be someone in your life that is dealing with this that needs you to love them. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on Soul Win, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. Soul Win women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now. Are you feeling broken or lost? Are you struggling to find a community of like-minded women? Come join us on Soul Win, Shining Our Light Women's Inspiration Network. Soul Win women have come out victoriously from their dark places and now use their God-given gifts to shine their light to the whole world. Get your free 30-day trial today. Go to www.soulwin.tv to subscribe now.